We are back, back in the middle of Transfer Portal craziness, back about a week out from the early signing period opening, Alamo Bowl coming up, and back for the 30th episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast. Number 30 on the Sooners right now, Trace Ford, another famous 30 in program history, Greg Pruitt, 1971, big season, running back. Uh, we are going to dive in on the Sooners SEC schedule, some housekeeping around uh, the portal activity, guys going to the pros, Danny Stutzman, Billy Bowman, all that, uh, with Garen Emig and Ben Portnoy of the Sports Business Journal. But first, a word from our sponsors. Letterman Jacket would not be possible without Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, and Bob Moore Auto Group. And of course, Garen knows him well. Ben, you're going to know him well soon. Fire Lake, our friends there. The Citizen Potawatomi Nation is more than 75 positions available, one of its many businesses. Go to firelakejobs.com to find out more and join the team. All right. So you guys know if you're familiar with the Letterman Jacket, you know Garen Emig's friendly face. Ben Portnoy's face is a new one. He's a, uh, a college football reporter with the Sports Business Journal. He has uh, been all over the SEC, covered Mississippi State, covered South Carolina, still based in an SEC t- uh, town in Columbia. Ben, what is going on? Welcome to the jacket. What's going on, guys? This is fun. No, I'm glad to glad to jump in and glad to mix it up with you guys for a little bit. Well, we're going to become a whole lot more familiar now that the o, the OU beat has gone from a Big Twelve beat to an SEC beat. Um, so I think you and Garen will certainly be seeing more of each other. Uh, Garen, you missed a rollicking time in Nashville at SEC Media Days this year. And I think we're going to have to re-up uh, in Dallas next summer. You, would, would, would you be game for that? You asking me if I want to have a good time at Media Days? Is there, is there any other time? That, that have a good time. Can see. Uh, except it's not in Nashville, right? It's, it's in uh, the Metroplex next summer, yeah, is it not? We're going to have to find a way to have some fun in Dallas. It's going to be my first trip to Dallas, so I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't know if it's going to live up to Nashville, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we're recording Thursday morning. Last night, Oklahoma's or the, the whole SEC schedule came out, which means Oklahoma's SEC schedule came out. We know what the roadmap for Oklahoma's first season, the SEC is going to look like. And we will get to that. But just a bit of housekeeping. Since the last time we recorded, there's been plenty of news around the Sooners. We've had Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman announce their returns. Uh, we've seen at least one major, major departure in Caden Green, the freshman offensive lineman. And the Sooners have added a few guys in the portal, uh, big ones, wide receiver Deion Burks. And last night, uh, running back Samuel Franklin from UT Martin. Garen, just off the bat there, I, I think, you know, we've hit so many different places at selloutcrowd.com on Billy Bowman, Danny Stutzman, uh, you know, the Caden Green news is developing. But in terms of the incomings, I know we've talked a lot about running back. What struck you about who the Sooners have brought in uh, since the last time we've been on? Well, the first thing that struck me is they brought someone in. Right. They I mean, they needed a body uh, given the situation at, at running back. And um, you've I take it you've broken down more Sam Franklin tape than I have. But uh, he, he fits the part. I think he's he'll be helpful. I think, again, anyone that DeMarco Murray brings in to replace the guys he's losing at that position is going to be helpful. That's assuming we trust the players when they tell us that new offensive coordinator Seth Luttrell is committed to the run game, that there's going to be a big element of the run and whatever OU does offensively moving forward. And so, of course, that means uh, there got to be guys for Jackson Arnold to hand the ball to. And so um, 
should be excited about Franklin. The, the way to go about this, Eli, is is about you should just put together a balance sheet. That's kind of what you're doing for sellout uh, for us with your tracker, right? Fans need to just take a look at departures and additions and figure out however they want when this, when the season is over, whether the the team improved or, or took a step back. And um, I I think that you you mentioned Caden Green's departure, surprising and difficult as that was to digest. Um, The fact that Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman have returned, I think makes that a, a net positive so far uh, for the Sooners. And as we start to see guys trickle into the program, usually you get guys coming in after you see all the defections and, and fans start to freak out about what's going on. What's wrong? Is there an internal issue? Is there a locker room issue? Well, no, it's just the way college football works now. And what you what you have to do is trust the coach to fill the holes. And that's what Venables is doing most uh, recently with Franklin. It feels like you need at least like an entry level class to basic accounting on this time of year. <laughs> yeah. Just the math, at least for us journalists, we don't do a lot of math uh, beyond calculating yards per carry and whatnot. But on the yards per carry front, that you know, Sam Franklin comes from UT Martin. He'll be a guy uh, in a running back room that has lost a bunch in the portal. Um, he's experienced. He was third leading rusher in FCS last year, something like 1378, I think is the exact number on yards, 11 touchdowns. Um, one question for him will be making the jump to, you know, not just Power Five football or, or FBS football, but the SEC, but if he's anything like he was uh, this past season at UT Martin, you're talking about a guy who can compete for the starting job or at the very least jump in with Gavin Sawchuk, Javante Barnes, and be dangerous. You mentioned Caden Green, and that was the big surprise. I think mm-hmm. we knew that the Sooners had work to do on the offensive line. When you were projecting that for 2024, one of the positives was you could say Caden Green, a guy who looks like a future All-American, a future NFL draft pick, would be there. That changed this week, as you alluded to. You know, the details are still somewhat murky, but, you know, if, if the prevailing theory that this was rooted in NIL and, you know, presumably that, that boogie word, tampering, which uh, if you're wondering why every other program in the country doesn't complain when their players are being tampered with, you might have reason to wonder why. Uh, perhaps it's because everyone's doing it. Uh, but, Ben, you swim in these waters a bit more kind of at the national level in terms of the portal, in terms of NIL, and this you know, at least on the surface or based on kind of the rumor mill around Norman is, is an instance of, you know, this just came down to the money and that's college football in 2023 from where you sit covering the sport um, NIL on the portal, just how prevalent is all of this, these kinds of instances where heads get turned and it feels more like an NFL free agency than, than anything else. Tracking a little bit, I think you're right. I feel like the more the longer I've been in this job, the more I feel like I should have gotten a business degree or something because there's a lot more numbers getting thrown at me than uh, than usual. But uh, no, I, I think it's look, it's something that happens all over, right? I mean, tampering happens across the sport. It happens from people who are complaining about it. It happens from you know G5 to P5 and you know G5 to FCS and and all the way around. And I think that you know when it comes down to it, I think the biggest complaint that you know, I've heard, and I'm certainly you guys have heard and and similar things is that, you know, you're basically functioning in college football right now. It's free agency without any kind of rules, regulation or collective bargaining. And I think that that ultimately creates the issues we're seeing, right? Where a kid can say, hey, you know, go to a coaching staff and say, hey, I had a good year. I want, you know, a bigger chunk of the pie. If you're not going to get it to give it to me, I'm going somewhere else. And I think that that creates the problem of, 
you know, not that necessarily that you say, hey, we go back to the way of if a kid transfers, they sit out of here, right? Like that, that cat's out of the bag. That's not going to happen. But I do think something will happen, I think, down the line. And I think, you know, yesterday was a good example when this, this case in Ohio came down. Uh, that the NCAA basically can't enforce their transfer waiver rules for the next 14 days. And, and we'll see what happens after that, after they go back to court on uh, December 27th. But it, the point is, is that, again, you've got kind of this system where kids can leave and, and jump around sort of without any sort of rules or regulation. And the NIL piece is a big piece of it. And so if you don't have kids under contract and things like that, it just allows for sort of this free flowing model that's frankly not sustainable. Um, and I think we're kind of living in that weird in between right now where, you know, the NCAA doesn't necessarily want student athletes to become employees, which is a whole other discussion. And, you know, that creates issues as far as what they can enforce and can enforce when it comes to transferring contracts, things like that. So uh, that's a long winded way of saying we're kind of in this weird in between where no one can really do anything about it, but it's happening. And it's kind of just the realities that, that college football coaches are living in right now. And, and, you know, other sports as well. Well, it, it does. That, that conversation always tends to circle around. Even this week, I was talking to a former OU football player, a different generation, but of, well, then let's, you know, there need to be contracts and rules and regulations. And it does begin to sound a whole lot like employment. And then people say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, can't be employees. These are college students. So, that is where this discussion can go in circles. Um, but I, I do think, you know, some form of regulation, whether it's Congress acting or the NCAA figuring out some model, we know they're trying at least. Um, there's got to be something because this is this is college football in 2023. I think it's worth noting this still, at least as far as, you know, we see it is in the minority there, you know, for every guy who, you know, leaves a program, uh, purely based on money there appear to be at least you know a number of guys on every roster who, who want to be at that school i mean different scenarios but listen to how danny uh, stutzman spoke this week about coming back to oklahoma that is not entirely lost but even you know all these guys garen you were chatting with them at, after practice tuesday these are 18 to 22 year olds who now are very very aware of the business they're operating in mm -hmm. correct yeah and it's just that it's it's a business ben laid it out really well in terms of the challenges faced by coaches in light of the fact that it has become a business, but they still got to live with it, right? They still got to do their jobs within the framework. If it's sloppy, if it's, if it's circular, if there don't seem to be any solutions for the problems that keep cropping up, well, this is, this is your reality. And, uh, you know, speaking of business, you're still paid seven figures to figure it out. And so if it, if it sucks for Bill Biedenboe that he just lost a potential left tackle in Caden Green, one of the few pieces he thought he could rely on coming back next year. You've got to adapt and, and, and figure it out. You got to you got to patch that hole. And uh, Eli, there's no more important staff member now that Seth Luttrell has been promoted to the OC role. We've got sort of got the offensive staff figured out. Bill Biedenboe becomes uh, front and center to to OU's transition to the SEC. He he's got to replace every spot, just about if not every spot. Just about. Is there, yeah. is there a returning starter coming uh, back? Jacob Sexton started some games, okay. uh, but no, you're right. I mean, if you look across that line, I mean, look, uh, same with Troy Everett, uh, who may be stepping in at center. Yeah. But to your to your point, largely here, the the top five snap getters on the offensive line yeah. are all gone. And and if we're talking about OU being at the line of scrimmage, ready for for what they're about to get into, that's something that I wondered about going into the season, and I still sort of wonder about even coming out. Yeah, they won ten games, but did they always convince you that they were? 
line of scrimmage ready for the SEC. And now you're asking that question again because of all the the, the departures on Beatonbow's line. And so, yeah, NIL is 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 a messy situation. Transfer portal is is open for business. Whether guys are going in uh, as they are right now, it, it's always open, and they're always and it's always on. I think guys' minds, players' minds. That's that's not an easy environment in which to coach, but you're you're stuck with it. You can't use it as an excuse. You got to deal with it. Brent Venables showed in year two that he was better equipped to deal with that reality than he was in year one. So we've got that figured out. But now, specific to Beatonbow, it's something that he really has to nail down uh, and and get right for the Sooners to to feel good about what what's coming in the SEC. Yeah. So we're here to talk SEC schedule. So we're going to do that. We'll leave that conversation with two parting notes. One, if there were a position coach who you know could sit here, obviously it's about the recruiting to to begin with and getting guys on campus. You need the bodies. But you know where OU fans can perhaps find some solace is that if there were an assistant, you might feel confident could mold a, a functioning offensive line between now and August, and even August to to October, really, when when the Sooners dive into the thick of SEC play. It would be Bill Biedenbow. I mean, he's proven time and again an ability to, to figure it out. So that's positive. These are big blows. They've got a lot of work to do. The second, portal gives and the portal takes, right? Everyone who's celebrating Samuel Franklin, Deion Burke, Spencer Brown, Dijon Malone, the four portal commits the Sooners have, um, you know, those are all guys who entered the portal, you know, prior to, I guess, you know, the Sooners making contact. But point being, uh, if you like what, what comes through the portal, you have to be okay with what's going to go out because it's a two-way street. And, uh, you know, again, everyone's kind of doing the same stuff. There are, I'm sure some programs are pushing the, the limit a bit more than others. But on the whole, um, you know, everybody's doing everything. Um, and, again, that's just the modern world we're living in, at least until there's some stronger regulation here. All right, SEC schedule release. Whole two hours to release a... Slate of games for a 16-team league—it just means more, doesn't it, Ben? Welcome to the SEC, guys. It's uh, it's all—it means more TV specials and more, uh, you know, more days at media days. The uh, the text I got last night from someone was that uh, from someone sort of uninitiated. The SEC just seems a bit more extra, and I was like, yeah, that's the whole thing. The S- I, was joking, thing. I was joking with someone at the SEC a couple weeks ago about this, and they were like, listen, if we can have a TV special for everything, why wouldn't we? And that's just kind of where it is right now. And and uh, I, I, nice to see that Oklahoma and Texas fans are being indoctrinated into that last night with a two-hour schedule release for a schedule that was, what, like 70% already out there? It's I, unbelievable. Hey, fellas, I got to ask, they they dropped it in, what, 40 minutes? I mean, by, by 6.45 our time, it was done. And we were getting ready to tape a, a re- what did I miss in the last hour fifteen? Was there was there something really good that I that I missed out on? Did anyone I didn't s- watch the I didn't watch the end of it. But like I, I feel like this is the same thing we litigate with the college football playoff show too. It's sort of like why are we doing this? But then at the same time, people watch it. So I guess my argument it's basically it turns into right sports writers complaining about having to watch it, which is fair. <laughs> But also, I guess people watch it, too. So, you know, here we are. So welcome you know, to the SEC. You guys will get lots more TV specials like this. I think all that was missed in the in the second hour was Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz, who's never found a camera or a microphone he didn't like. Um, he he did a, a live hit from a recruit's home. <laughs> he couldn't be, I guess, either couldn't be bothered to, to, to set up elsewhere or move the schedule or to just skip out on the appearance. 
So he used a family's Christmas tree as the background and gave his take on the SEC schedule. So that's what, Garen, what did I miss? That's what you missed. That's what I missed. Eli, Eli spitting facts about, uh, about Missouri's uh, game against the Sooners next, what is it? November November 9th. Yeah, November I was going to say, you got it committed to memory, surely. That's that's when well, you're making your triumphant return oh. to, uh, what did you say, bougies? Oh, booches. Come on now. Booch. Boo. <laughs> that's that's Boo. just – Darren, I know. Look, we're going to need to work on this. We got almost a year's time. We're going to need to work on this stuff. It's <laughs> booches, Shakespeare's, uh, Harpo. We'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Um, all right, but that was the, the, the Sooners SEC welcome was this great two-hour show or one of the many SEC welcomes they're going to get over the next year. Their SEC welcome uh, next fall is going to look a little something like home to Tennessee at Auburn. Uh, they got a Cotton Bowl with Texas on October 12th. South Carolina comes to town. Late October trip to Ole Miss. Rekindle that rivalry, the Big 12 deal with Missouri November 9th. And then uh, the big finish, Alabama and at LSU to close out. Um, you know, Garen, we did our rapid reaction pod last night, so we don't need to rehash it all. But right. um, I think we all agree that the schedule breaks kind of relatively favorably for the Sooners, given that we already knew the opponents lot before last night. It wasn't a surprise that Alabama was on the schedule, but where they got these teams, I think you look at the open dates that are really favorable before mm-hmm. uh, the Texas game and before the Alabama game. But you consider the context of a 12 game, uh, 12 team playoff. And what the Sooners could conceivably be, conceivably be playing for in late November, Nick Saban coming to Owen Field, and then a trip to LSU could be daunting. Yeah, no, I uh, to retrace. I thought they, I thought they came out really well. Honestly, the week off before Texas, the week off before Bama, they get to not that it's uh, you know shallow water ever in the SEC, but I think they'll be helped by the fact that their first conference game is at home against Tennessee. Uh, now Josh Heupel has a little proving to do after the, the, the you know the step back this, this past season. So that's that's not eleven win Tennessee. That's eight win Tennessee. Their first road game is at Auburn. I'm not saying that's a, that's a breeze by any stretch. Better than playing at Alabama. Better than playing at Georgia. Better than playing in Death Valley. So there's a there's a chance for them to build momentum as they get into you know the the the, uh, the sharper teeth and uh, and. Yeah, I you know they they're not playing Eli. They're not playing both the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide, which I think I've got it in my notes somewhere. Um, yeah, Auburn and Tennessee. Good luck to you fellas of uh, having to draw both of those teams. They don't have Florida schedule, which is a baton death march starting in November. I couldn't believe. Oh my goodness, that no final five games they've got. It's I. I mean, so it's all relative, and I, I mean, think you- OU. It came out pretty well. I'm not saying they're going to go 11 and one their first voyage, but um, it's set up for them to uh, to at least have a shot and 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 you know tread a little water. I mean, I think you're right, Garen. Like, I mean, looking at the schedule, and, and this is from outside Oklahoma perspective, but like, I mean, there's a world that outside of maybe the Texas game, and depending what Ole Miss and Missouri are, I mean, Oklahoma should probably be favored in its first 10 games, if not nine of those 10. Um, you know, Texas could be a toss-up just depending what these two teams are next year. I mean, that's about as favorable a schedule as you're going to get in this league, I think. And and for year one, to me, I mean, it seems to break right. Well, that's – I I think you're right. Like, you can look at this schedule, and and OU fans certainly have. You can start looking and and thinking, uh, you know, they they open with uh, with Temple, Houston, Tulane, and then it's Tennessee and Auburn before Texas. You can roadmap that pretty easily, certainly in, in December on paper. 
to five and zero, and then you look at South Carolina, Ole Miss, Missouri, all games kind of as you said, Ben, that they could conceivably be favored in, really far out. But we also know that these games are not played in December; they're not played on paper. They they play out um, starting, you know, and it'll be August thirty first this year. What are the things in the SEC that OU fans don't know yet? Because you know they've gotten used to the rhythms of the Big Twelve, where Oh, man, that trip to, to Ames, Iowa is always a trap or, uh, you know, we never play K-State well, things like that. If you're an OU fan looking at the schedule that, that you could say looks pretty favorable now, I don't know if it's individual schools or just the rhythms of the league that, that they are going to get introduced to next fall. Yeah, I think Auburn's one that I'd circle if you want to play the like, hey, this is going to be a trap game type thing. Um, obviously, you know, if there's anything any, people in the SEC love to do, it's project games like 12 months before they're played. So here we are. But I, I do think that the Auburn is one of those places that it's always riled up on game day. I'd argue it's one of the two or three best places in the league to watch a football game on just a given Saturday in the fall. Um, you know, weird things happen at Auburn. And we see that happen with the Iron Bowl every other year, basically. We saw it this year, obviously, with the Isaiah Bombcat and all that. But that's one of those games that I think Hugh Freeze has things going in the right direction. They're recruiting really well. If they can figure out the quarterback situation, I think Auburn's going to take a step forward. And I think that, you know, that's one of those games that's early enough in the slate. You're still kind of figuring out what you have. You know, is Jackson Arnold's getting comfortable at quarterback and all of those things? Like, that's a that's a road trip that to me sticks out, if only because it's your first SEC road trip. It's early in the season. It's before a bye week. It's, you know, going into a two, you know two-week lead into the Texas game. There's just a lot there that makes me think, all right, this game could get weird at the very least. And that's not to say Oklahoma doesn't win and come out and, you know, let's say Oklahoma wins by two touchdowns or three touchdowns. But I just think that's one of those games that, you know, Hugh Freeze has shown a propensity to be tricky at the very least to deal with. And, you know, certainly Nick Saban doesn't love seeing <laughs> love seeing Hugh Freeze on the opposite sideline for good reason. And so uh, that's one of, if I'm looking at and I'm, you know, an Oklahoma fan and, and sort of thinking about what's what's the head in the SEC um auburn's definitely one that i would circle as far as you know that sort of iowa state parallel of uh, you don't want to go play there kind of thing now historically nick saban you know they've made use of that late season non-conference game to play a cupcake before auburn how do we think he's feeling about having to come to norman oklahoma the week before the iron bowl this year that's certainly a way to end the season i mean look oklahoma's got a brutal end but but uh Alabama have any clothes with Oklahoma and Auburn too. That's uh, that's always tricky. Now you get the Iron Bowl at home this year, so that helps. But uh, going into a rivalry game, having to play what probably will be—I mean, again, we're forecasting 12 months out here—but what I would guess is probably a top, you know, 20, top 15 Oklahoma team uh, right before you go into the Iron Bowl. That's uh, it's not exactly a cupcake, but I did appreciate Oklahoma jumping on the uh, late November SEC bandwagon of playing a FCS team and the middle of November when everyone else is playing real conference games. So that's a, coming. Hey, listen, there's a lot of people around Starkville, Mississippi that'll tell you don't take Maine lightly. If uh, if, if you want to do a little, take a little hit, dive down uh, memory lane. It was what, I guess 2007, 2006, somewhere in there, uh, Mississippi State lost an early season game to Maine. So the Black Bears are, uh, are, are, uh, are always uh, a little pesky when it comes to the SEC. But, uh, but yeah, love to, love to see Oklahoma jumping on that bandwagon. Garen, how many guys do you think on the main football roster could have pointed to Starkville, Mississippi on a map? I'm just trying to imagine the people of Starkville mingling with the uh, <laughs> the the travel party for, for Maine University at that game. You think it's a big one? I, I don't. That's the thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's 
Maybe there's a a, a a sect of Maine football diehards that that we'll encounter when they come to Norman mm. next November. That that we've ta- we we yeah. Well, here we are laughing about it. And and what if you know what if they what if they open the tailgate scene on Lindsay Street? Um, what if what if they beat the uh, the swarm to the to the tailgate that day? So um, hey, real quick, I again, if you're trying to figure out if OU came out well on the wash last night, how about again compared to others? I thought they did in Texas. Texas got to play Georgia the week after Red River. Are you serious? <laughs> you talk the question about Nick Saban and, and going from Norman right into the Iron Bowl. What about uh, Steve Sarkeesian going from Dallas and the Cotton Bowl to Georgia to playing Georgia? Um, they 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 go to both Arkansas and A and M in November. I'm pretty sure there will be animal sacrificed in Fayetteville and College Station to win that game. That is not going to be a friendly. <laughs> Those are not going to be friendly games for the Longhorns. So this might be Bobby Petrino's Razorbacks by that point. Yeah, and and which yeah, that that that's a story in itself, Eli. You're right. Um, yeah, maybe they'll sacrifice Sam Pittman instead <laughs> instead of a razor instead of a hog. Um, well, that's not to mention Texas goes to Michigan in week two of the season. I mean, Texas. I mean, right. that's a that's a non conference game, and that yeah. doesn't necessarily have to do with the SEC slate, but. I mean, and plays a good UTSA team in Austin. Like, there's there's some tricky games there on, on UT's schedule. Well, I mean, that's a part of this, too, for Oklahoma and Texas. There's It's not a matter of diminishing the Big 12 and what it's been. It's been a really competitive league at different times, teams up and down. But this is also just going to be the norm, especially if you're playing tough out-of-conference games, and that's going to be a whole conversation uh, as it relates to the playoff, things for people like Joe Castiglione and Cristel Conte to consider, you know, are you better off playing four cupcakes and maintaining the record or are you better off going and playing in Michigan or in Alabama like Texas will have the last two years? But these schedules are simply going to be tough. Like Oklahoma and Texas have not had schedules that have looked like they will the next few years. And, uh, you know, the SEC some years more than others, you know, gets by on its brand more than its actual caliber. I think this past season was a down year for the SEC. But bottom line, uh, this is going to be a tough league. And, and a big determining factor in all this is, you know, that what they decide to do long term, right? You know, we've got uh, seemingly on the table, the two options being an eight game scheduling model, which is what they're going to stick with this year, or going to nine games. And, and there's ramifications with all that. I mean, Ben, I, I feel like where we left off with it, and you'd, you'd be more attuned to this stuff, was in the in the summer was a game schedule for you know this placeholder season, and then after that, we're expecting them to to vote on something long term. Yeah, my understanding is that the SEC wants to resolve this sooner than later. It'll be if I'm you know speculating, it's going to be before they sort of come back together at uh, spring meetings again in Destin this summer. Um, I would guess that we'll have a sort of future schedule plan sometime in the next, you know, handful of months, just because it's not something that the SEC wants to linger on. I think it's something they've kind of decided on, just haven't put it out there, basically, um, as far as I understand it. But I, I think that's, you know, that becomes the other discussion of, uh, that's the whole other big picture discussion in college football right now of what happens to these non-conference games, like, you know, Texas going to Michigan or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think that, you know, the flip side of that is that when you have, you look at the Big Ten, right? Like, Ohio State's going to play Oregon every other year, roughly. You know, these games that are were originally non-conference games are going to come around because they're on the conference schedule already. So, you know, whether they're tagged a non-conference game or a conference game is sort of a moot point, right? Like, you're going to get big-time matchups just because of what these con- conferences are these days. Um, so I think that, you know, whether the SEC goes to 
a nine game conference schedule or an eight game conference schedule. Like to me, I think it, it I don't want to say it's a, it, it's made out to be a bigger deal than it is, but I think there's a little bit of that. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, again, it's going to go back to that debate. Same conference, Ohio state goes and plays Notre Dame. They go play Oregon. Uh, you know, I guess Michigan to their credit next year, they've got Texas, but um, I think we're going to be sitting here probably as soon as, you know, October, November of next year comparing schedules just like we always do and instead of comparing them at the four and five spot for the playoff it's going to be 12 and 13 i mean this year could you imagine garen the, the clamor in, in norman if, if Ole miss had gotten yeah. you know the, which is exactly how it went down yeah. basically got in ahead of the sooners uh with a bunch of quality losses uh while ou had its win over texas these games are going to matter somehow the committee will de- you know determine for us in a sense what they really value. And, and I think the fact that that's up in the air to a degree is a problem, but that's a much bigger issue. Um, but these games are going to matter, and it's why uh, the future scheduling model in the SEC is, is going to be important. Yeah, isn't it interesting, two and a half years ago when it started to get out that this, this was we were headed to a 12-team playoff, my, my inclination, and I think a lot of folks, was, well, this should encourage teams to schedule better non-conference because it's, it's, op- it's a wider open door to get into the playoff with 12, obviously. You can do, you know, it, we can do that much accounting. Easier to get into 12 than four. So, yeah, why not go ahead and, and get something done early in September that gets, you, gets the program excited, get your fan base, more importantly, if you're trying to continue to fill seats in your stadium, get the fan base more excited. So go ahead and schedule up. Well, then, then realignment went bonkers, right? OU and Texas joined the SEC. That was followed by what happened with the Big Ten. And there was this collision of that idea that even in a 12-team playoff in these new super conferences, for lack of a, you know, a, a more cliched term, uh, you're already playing a crazy difficult schedule. So you actually need to soften things up in September because you're, you're potentially, just by nature of your new league schedule, you're scheduling up to two or three losses if you're not careful. And so it, it, it's, we've talked a number of times, Eli, about how realignment has, has changed how we view college football, not always for the better, specific to Bedlam, but a million tentacles from that. And here's another example of it, because I think with the 12-team playoff before the arrival of the SEC as it looks beginning next year and the Big Ten as it looks beginning next year, the 12-team playoff was going to do us all favors for those who were pushing for better games in early September, especially among the Blue Bloods and traditional powers. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen now. And uh, what seemed like what seems like a nine-game SEC schedule, what, that seems like it ought to be a slam dunk to me. Um, it isn't because it all you're doing is loading yourself up with another league game that in a very in what was already a tough conference and is now a treacherous one. Well, this neat. is the conversation that a lot of SEC people have. I was just going to jump in for a second. Is like, yeah, you look at schools like whatever it is, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, right? Like schools that are sort of in that middle, bottom middle, third tier of SEC schools, whatever it is, and wherever you want to delineate. Like those schools, the the thing that the SEC always sort of pats its back on is getting all these schools into into bowl games, right? And if you're playing four non conference games and you can schedule basically three cupcakes or four cupcakes you're making it so you only have to win two league games. <laughs> and I think that like, that's the point of like, if you go to nine games, you're not going to see that as much. And, you know, you run into schools like South Carolina is a good example. Kentucky is a good example where, you know, South Carolina plays Clemson every year. Kentucky plays Louisville every year. If you're going from, you know, three cupcakes to two, you're then having to find an SEC win somewhere else. And, you know, 
are you beating Texas or Oklahoma? So, you know, good luck, right? I think that, you know, that becomes an interesting dynamic of how does the bowl math work out down the line as well. I mostly just appreciate that you left Missouri out of that bottom tier of the SEC. <laughs> that was very kind of you. That's playing to the crowd. Listen, ten, ten and two, uh, ten and two, Missouri, and people forget they won the East a couple of times. So I, I think it's, we're getting uh, ready to build a statue. If Drinkwitz were to do that again, to back to back like ten win seasons, doesn't take much to get a statue in Columbia, Missouri. We'll put it right next, the, Eli, we'll put it next to the Eli Letterman statue, right? Well, as I'm saying, I've, <laughs> let's let's get that noise going. <laughs> All right, so there's that SEC schedule for 2024. There's what the future will look like. Um, but OU fans are going to get a taste of some really different road locales. No more Manhattan, no more Ames. To, I actually haven't been to Manhattan, but Ames you know, is a great place to go see a game. But a lot of the places that become familiar are now off the schedule, and they're going to be replaced in 2024 by Baton Rouge, Oxford, Mississippi, Auburn, Alabama, Columbia, Missouri, one familiar place there. And in the future, we're going to be talking about Athens and Starkville and, and all these kind of, ex- call them exotic, exotic Starkville, Mississippi, right? Uh, but Ben, uh, it was, I want to get your, you know, you've covered the SEC for a number of years. Your most memorable SEC road trip was where? That's a tough one. For better or worse? No, that's, that's a good question. I'm not going to lie. Columbia, Missouri is probably toward the top bottom of my list. Sorry, Eli. But uh, but I, w- I will say that, you know, I think I said it a little bit earlier, Auburn's a fun one. And I think that just does game day, right? I think people will really like kind of what Auburn does, what Ole Miss does. You know, just those are places that bleed college football, right? And you've got tailgating all throughout campus and things like that. And it's just a, it's a really cool vibe. And I think that that's really fun. Um, you know, I think that for me, I think College Station was always a fun trip, and I know that's not necessarily new for Oklahoma fans, but I do think that College Station brought something that was, you know, very different from from the rest of the SEC, and that certainly it's a small college town, but I think there's something different about, you know, Texas Southern, right, versus, you know, Alabama Southern. They're, they're just different vibes, and I think that for me, um, that was always a fun dynamic and a fun place to go, and I think Kyle Field is one of the better places in America to watch a college football game on Saturday, but uh, I know I'm not really answering your question and I'm really deferring because no. I can't think of what my favorite one is, but, um, but I do think like there, there's some really great places. And I think that, you know, folks are going to be really excited about what, you know, what the SEC has to offer. Right. I think this is the fun thing about these games, right. You have, you know, plenty of people who have their groups of friends that say, Hey, we're going to do one road trip a year, or two road trips a year for football. And I think that, you know, you're going to get to see a lot of really cool environments. I mean, obviously I live in Columbia, but you know, South Carolina's got a really great atmosphere when the Gamecocks are really good and williams Rice Stadium gets going. I, I think Starkville, Mississippi is one of the most underrated game days in America. Like, I know people hate on the cowbells and all that. You know, maybe I've been indoctrinated too much, but I, I do think that, you know, there's something really cool about that. And I think there's a lot of places, you know, in the SEC like that that have some of that character that, you know, I think that we sometimes forget about and sort of the grand scheme of college football right now, right? Like, there's so much happening in college football and... <laughs> despite our best efforts, probably not for the better. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's a lot to me, at least, like, I think part of what the reason why I fell in love with college football, right. was some of the pageantry and some of the craziness of it. And I think that, you know, 99.9% of the places, you know, you go in the sec, you're going to find that whether it's, you know, Starkville to Fayetteville to Lexington to Tuscaloosa, wherever that might be. And I think that that to me is that, you know, when you think about what college football should be, at least on a game day, on a Saturday, forget, you know, transfer portal, NIL, all that other stuff, like you're going to find that in those places you go. 
Eli, I spent an hour talking to Arkansas fans before the Razorbacks basketball game in Tulsa the other day, and they had great things to say about two states in particular for road trip purposes, Mississippi, both the Mississippi schools, hospitality, atmosphere, all that stuff. I know the Grove probably gets more attention at Starkville, to, to Ben's point, but um, trem- tremendous uh, things to say about that state and the, the show they put on. And Alabama, they, they both, uh, both Auburn and Alabama, for that matter. Both love their the fans that I spoke with. Love both of those experiences. Uh, sort of grit their teeth when when LSU came up. <laughs> and, I, and again, not breaking any news here, right? It's a little different. Uh, it's intense. Um, we we didn't we didn't include a lot of the stories in in the column I wrote because I didn't want to piss off the entire LSU fan base as a, as a newbie going into this league next year. But um, and OU fans who remember their encounters with uh, with the uh, Tiger. Uh, Tiger base in 2003, even remember they played for the national championship in the sugar bowl once upon a time. And some infamous stories uh, emerged just from that trip alone. I think it was a little bit better in 19 at the peach bowl. I think LSU fans were uh, a little more, a little more nice to, uh, to uh, the Oklahoma traveling parties. But um, for what that's worth, Arkansas fans say it does get loud in Starfield with the cowbells. It is uh, it is a different world in, uh, in, at the Grove. And uh, and certainly it's a big, big deal in Tuscaloosa. But uh, the OU fans will not want to miss those four trips in particular based on their experiences as they related to me. Garen, here's my vision. Whenever the Sooners go to College Station, we get you a pair of overalls. Oh, Lord. No, 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 no. And we get you with the gigum. No. No. We get- we, I was gonna say, if you bring a camera, you can go through like yell practice, right? Isn't that a whole uh, thing? I, oh, right? Yeah, I, come on. I sat in on that once. I just for the heck of it. Uh, John yeah. Hoover, our friend, uh, formerly co- former colleague at the Tulsa World, and I sat. Went, we had we had time to kill one night. We went to yell practice the night before an OU A and M game. It was I, I. I will just say, for the sake of this show, it was different. It was very different, and that's where I'm going to leave it. I think there's a whole lot of unique. In the SEC, <laughs> truly unique—a term that's overused. Unique, singular. Uh, A&M lands in that camp. A lot of these campuses are pretty dang close to singular, which I think is what's going to make it special. Personally, next fall, I'm excited to see Ole Miss, see Oxford in the Grove, and I can't imagine. You know, I've, I've got a just a hunch that that LSU game, November 30th. If we're talking about a night game in Baton Rouge, can't imagine many other places in the country you'd rather be on a football Saturday. Uh, than than there, uh, and I can't attest that the, the Alabama scene. If you're an Oklahoma fan, it's going to be incredible to have a, Alabama in Norman next fall. That is going to, if it doesn't feel like the SEC up until that point, that moment will feel very SEC. But whenever the Sooners make their return trip uh, to Tuscaloosa, that is worthwhile. It's a, an incredible place to see a football game. And the Shane Beamer Bowl in Norman, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Big, yeah, big. Got a couple of returns next year. Hypo will be a very interesting one. Um, all right, Ben, I don't know how familiar you are with how we end the show typically on the Letterman Jacket, uh, but we're going to play a little game of Port Yay or Port Nay. Um, <laughs> just a little rapid fire. We're going to make these quick so we can wrap up soon. Uh, Rocky Top as a song. You, you Port Yay or you Port Nay? Yay, definitely. I'm, I'm big on Rocky Top. Big fan. Smokey's, Smokey's a good boy, too. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Ugga? I'm gonna go. Like I'm, not a bull, I'm not a bulldog fan, despite all the bulldogs mm. in this league. What is it? Three of them, Matt? Right? Uh, I, I'm not a. I, I'm I'm out on bulldogs. All right, the Iron Bowl probably considered to be the best rivalry in the conference. I think we can safely say, probably folks in Norman and Austin who would argue they've got the second best 
rivalry in the conference now. You port yay or port nay on that? I'm going to go nay. I think the Egg Bowl is number two. I think the Egg Bowl is a special kind of wild. Uh, I think it doesn't get the shine necessarily, uh, just given the 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 teams aren't necessarily as nationally relevant i think but i think if you're talking good old-fashioned clean hate between two fan bases the egg bowl is right there that you know top five in america in my view uh all right eight game scheduling model if that is where they land you port yay or port nay on that if it's the direction they go in as a league i'm gonna say nay in that i think the sec is Maybe it doesn't need to do itself any favors considering we saw what happened with Alabama and Florida State this year uh, and strengthening its own schedule. But I, I do think it's time for the SEC to probably move to nine games and, and sort of join the pack on that and, and I think move to a place where it's playing you know similar type slates as, uh, as the rest of the country. All right, finish here. I know of at least four states in which you can, in the SEC footprint, where you can find Gator, like on menus to eat it and all that. Are you Port Yay or Port Nay on Gator? I'm yay on Gator. Uh, my mom's from Florida, so I, I love ga- I, I love uh, uh, Gator when I can find it, and I'll, pro- I'll probably get some when I go home for Christmas here in a couple uh, in about a week or so. So I'm, I'm yay on Gator. There we go, Garen. You ever had Gator? No, I was about to ask Ben what it tasted like. Oh, it's fabulous. It's kind oh, of fabulous. like uh, the best way I can describe it, and it's not meant to sound bad. It's more like it's sort of like chick. It's got like the texture of like chicken, but it's got a little bit of a fi- like salty taste. Hmm. You fry anything, it'll taste good. That's true. You fry it, you give it a little little bit of an aioli or something. It's it's good stuff. All right. Well, Ben, we appreciate you joining us. I hope this is not your last appearance on Letterman Jacket. That that's for you to decide. Garen, I hope the same, but I know you'll be back. Uh so <laughs> we will have you covered on the Sooners, on the SEC, on everything, uh, at selloutcrowd.com and Letterman Jacket. Garen has a new episode of Mind Games coming out this week with a little Jackson Arnold tie. We got a lot to cover, so we are going to have it covered on our podcast, on the website. Uh, if you want some of the best national college athletics coverage in the country, go to the Sports Business Journal, follow Ben. He's on top of it all. He's doing panels with league commissioners. He's rubbing elbows with Greg Sankey and Jim Phillips. He's doing the thing. So we've th- this trio right here has got you covered on all things college football. Hopefully, we'll get to do it again here on The Jacket. As always, big thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, creative director, Michael Lane. Uh, You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at selloutcrowd.com. We'll be back with another pod next week. 